Welcome to Pints and Politics, the Thursday, May 14th, 2020 edition. My name is Bill Templeman. This program was recorded online last Friday, May 8th. At the end of the program, I'll give out our podcast site and social media contact information. Joining me for this online discussion of what sort of society we want to build when the pandemic recedes is Cheryl Lyon, editor of Transition Town and the Green Zine, and also a Transition Town activist. Then Sarah Cullingham, who is a PhD student with a background in community planning and public health. Then Kemi Akapo, who's a town councillor and community activist. And uh, closing out our roster, Ian Atheridge, who's a lawyer and university instructor. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now, since the week of March 19th, I guess it was on the 11th that the WHO declared the pandemic, most of Peterborough has been on quarantine. So for the middle class and well-off households, The past two months have been like two months of Sundays. For many of us, uh, these months have seemed like an extended Christmas, New Year's break. Uh, Unstructured family or solo time with lots of snacking. Not enough exercise and too much Netflix. No doubt we're all spending far more time online than we used to as we go forward. In my household, I've taken on the part of dog walking duties for Ducky, my daughter's much-beloved little spaniel poodle. Ducky and I... We're in, we walk downtown along Hunter Street. I am now used to this new reality of the Hunter Street Cafe District being absolutely empty, even on Friday and Saturday nights at sunset. I only see other dog walkers or the occasional jogger. The garnet has boarded up, and the only gorgeous patio is locked and empty. Ducky can pause, sniff, and pee at every lamppost. She doesn't get in anyone's way. Which brings to our, brings us to our first question. What sort of downtown will emerge when this pandemic lifts? Will Hunter Street ever regain its festive atmosphere on weekends? How many of those businesses will survive on a broader landscape? What sort of Peterborough will we create? Will there be an irresistible rush to resurrect the past or will we create something new? And what forums and processes are in place? underway or should be created to carry on such conversations in all corners of our community. Now, forgive my rambling question. I tend to frame these things like smorgasbord offerings and you take what you want. But does anyone uh, hear anything in there you'd like to start with? Hi, Bill. It's Kemi here. Thank, first of all, thank you for having us here to have this uh, important discussion. Yes, Yeah, you ask a lot of good questions and uh, I, I may have forgotten some of them, but in, in terms of the downtown, I, you know, I'm certainly hopeful that the downtown will, will come back to what it was before, if not better. I know that a lot of the downtown businesses have tried to be as creative as possible in terms of continuing to provide service, and certainly the ones in the food industry seem to be doing okay in terms of having to, you know, being able to still at least do curbside drop-offs. The ones who are perhaps struggling a little bit more are the ones who can't offer that, uh, who really do require that in-person sort of, uh, you know, meeting with a person in order to provide a service. But I am hopeful that people will be able to make it through. And, you know, perhaps we might see some some new things being done in terms of collaborations, people working together, uh, and not so much in silos. Uh, I do think that it's possible that, you know, you mentioned Hunter Street, and I, I do think that that street will come back and be just as lively as it used to be. 
uh, I think there are, there are some creative solutions we can do in terms of closing some streets so that they can be pedestrian and cycling only, and that can help bring some traffic uh, to the downtown. I heard Valerie Plant, the mayor of Montreal, on the CBC a few days ago, talking about how she, uh, she and her colleagues are considering how they can give pedestrians and cyclists more room on our streets. And I thought, oh, that's provocative, you know, because up until now, the notion of uh, removing cars or limiting cars has been such a no-no. But apparently there's some openness to that now. I think uh, I think that the pandemic has allowed people to perhaps, you know, think a little bit outside of the box or at least be more open to ideas that are not so conventional. And, you know, I don't I don't think we'll shut down the street all the time every day. But perhaps, you know, uh, when we first reopen uh, and then perhaps just on Sundays, that kind of thing, it's still something that needs to be explored. But I do think it's a viable option uh, if we are a little bit creative. What sort of forums or processes are in place to have these sorts of discussions? What's going on or what was going on before the pandemic struck that could lead to this sort of discussion of our future? Bill, it's Ian. And um, it's I think there are there's been a history of, of forums in Peterborough that have brought people together and across different disciplines, different sectors coming together. I'm recalling the uh, prosperity forums that were held by economic development and um, the uh, Vision 2020 uh, panels that brought together an initial vision that is still recognized as, a, as an important discussion, a framework for engaging different sectors in Peterborough as part of some of the, the more current discussions about our official plan. I know that Peter Brown the Quarth's economic development is looking at their new strategic plan, new directions, picking up on the international goals for um, development that are uh, most relevant in Peterborough. So we're seeing some of these forums that were underway before, but are starting to transform to expand the scope of the conversation, to link into some of that, that research that has been done both in, within our city, we've got lots of capability here, but also beyond our city. And uh, I think this is going to be critical for our resurgence as we come out of the pandemic, is to have that cross-sectoral discussions that involves our, our municipal leadership, but also the community. Yeah, I mean, and when we think of Peterborough, what what are we going to, I mean, we, the community, going to rebuild or, or restart? Is it going to go back to same old, or are we going to use this as an opportunity to fix some of the things that were broken? I mean, obviously, housing, affordable housing, uh, homelessness, all that, I mean, that's not working. Tent City last summer and all. Will we use this this hiatus to uh, make a fresh start on those things? Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting because we we have been having these conversations for years, and you know, and there have been some progress. You know, it's we as humans. It's I also try to be realistic because I feel like. Uh, sometimes the easiest path is the path of least resistance, right? Or the easiest path that we're already used to. Right? Yeah, do what we've done. Yeah. Exactly. So, 
I, you know, I think there will have to be some going back to doing what we've done, but I really do hope that uh, we can, you know, all sort of work collectively together and really use this as, as a, as an opportunity to start something new and to look at new ways of doing, doing things with a little bit more openness. I, I, I'm really hoping that we come out of this with a little bit more open-mindedness on how to do Ian, one of the questions you asked earlier uh, before we started was, uh, what is the future of consumption as a driver of our economy? I mean, that question in and of itself, now that we aren't shopping as much, we're not making as much, could this be a kickstart for a, not a no-growth economy, but a post-growth economy? Are we going to collectively, when I use the uh, plural pronoun, are, are, are we going to investigate new ways of how we do business? If you like, Bill, I'll start into that, but I, I really like to hear from some of the other panelists. And I think of our official plan, and do we look backwards to our old industrial approaches and we still have industry in a city but we're seeing that shift and the supply chains have changed and the impacts of that the interconnectivity amongst different elements of our economy and our dependence on other places i think as transition town and others have been telling us for a long time we need to be looking at relocalizing our economy understanding understanding how we can invest both our consumer dollars, but also our government dollars, and, and do that into our local businesses, because those funds get reinvested into our local economy, and they're not, they're not headed to head offices, perhaps located a long distance away. And so I think we need to think about this more fully, and that's the benefit of tapping into the knowledge and the existing research that we have in this community at our institutions, but also directly in our citizen groups. I mean, one of the questions uh, that uh, really caught me, uh, Ian, when you in your email is, what will we, what will we want to build, or what will we need to leave behind and stop doing as we come out of this in a more planful way as a community? Um, yeah, I think uh, it, it won't be any surprise uh, because I've been working in transition that um, I will jump on this uh, word localization. But I'd like to back up a step and say we have to really um, rethink normal. Uh, was normal all that good? Normal really got us. Yeah. Real, really put us in the global climate uh, emergency and crisis, and it will be going on for a long time, right? And the, the slogan, the future shows up locally first, was never more true because we're really starting to look at the connection between the global and the local and saying, look what it's doing to our community with, uh, with the shutdown of the economy. Now, climate can shut down the economy too. So yes. this is kind of like a time of, of rehearsal for um, getting some new uh, thinking on the table and not following that really strong human impulse to return me to my security of, the, of what I had, you know? You're right. And uh, as Ian pointed out, and, and I totally agree, we've had many fora, many opportunities, whether it's input to the OP or 
Reimagine Peterborough or many, many groups coming together talking about different things. We had a little um, burp of participatory budgeting, which um, I hope we might revisit as, as an idea that uh, is another forum for engaging uh, people at a very grassroots level and getting local municipal citizens' input into the the kind of change of worldview, the kind of change between the ears we need to make to yeah. see that we cannot go back to normal. Right. And, uh, there's another um, uh, effort underway uh, around social procurement. Thank you, Kemi, for bringing forward that motion and getting the support of council behind it mm. for using the city purchasing power to uh, boost the local economy and to uh, better the lives of marginalized people. Um, an example would be if you can use social purchasing, keeping the wealth in the community, people's uh, standard of living, their income level rises, and so there'll be less demand on social housing and more room for really, really needy people who need it and all sorts of these spin-offs. Oh, excellent. You know, I referenced Valerie Plante, the mayor of Montreal, uh, a few minutes ago. Mayor Plante also referenced in her talk the reduction in commuting, uh, as so many have been able to work from home. And what changes might that bring about in how we design, well, in her case, Montreal, but uh, not only traffic flow, street design, but there are some urban planning considerations in there. Others have been touting the vastly improved uh, Air quality in big cities like Montreal, Toronto, and of course uh, uh, Beijing uh, around the world during the pandemic as a motive for reducing single passenger vehicle traffic. Uh, once all this is over, might we do on a larger, on a with a larger canvas and how we design and run our cities post-pandemic? And I guess what might we do better here in Peterborough? Yeah, I think uh, you bring up an interesting point, Bill, and I'm align with the others on the call and thinking that we do have an opportunity to rethink things and not just go back to the way things were, but to build new opportunities. And when it comes to things like urban planning, I, I appreciate Kemi's comments about the opportunities to shut down streets downtown and the sort of vibrancy that can come back from those sorts of interventions. I think in Peterborough, especially we'll also need to consider what sort of ties and connections we're building between our downtown core and our more suburban communities. You know, it's easier to think about shutting down something like Hunter Street in the Cafe District, but how are we building mobility corridors for people who live in more residential areas on the outsides of our city to come in and access those amenities downtown? Uh, where are access points to downtown? I think that you know, as we have come to realize our kind of more interconnectedness out of our response, our collective response to this pandemic, we also risk falling back into more exclusive community groups too, right? right. I mean, I, I'm talking more to my family and my existing friend groups now and not having chances for that more informal kind of collision with people who I might not otherwise meet. And so I think that urban design and public spaces provide us with, with spaces to do that informal um, meeting. And so I think that in Peterborough particularly, we need to be thinking about that, not just in the downtown, but linking between different neighborhoods and between the downtown core 
and our more peripheral residential neighborhoods as well. This pandemic, in a way, has been like a giant magnifying glass in that uh, it's revealed the deep inequities and the flaws of how we live. And, of course, the weaknesses in our social safety net, if I, if I dare call it that. Uh, Bill, can I pick up, sure. pick up on the social safety net reference? Absolutely. Um, and, and maybe um, try and the rest of us just coin a new phrase, uh, because I think what the uh, social isolation and, and the death rate of uh, and the stories from um, nursing homes, for instance, oh. um, and, and all the stories of us caring for each other, they're just incredible stories of people inventing new ways to communicate, to support, to get food, to end loneliness and all of that. And that suggests to me a, a profound, a potentially profound shift in priorities for what we spend our public money on. Um, And, you know, going up the ladder to the highest levels of the economy, the money has been flowing up to the 1%. uh, You know, I don't don't think they're suffering. And uh, uh, where we need to rethink our our priority is this. Let's put it to, can I call it the feminine side of the budget, to the the caring, the health, the social services, and, and maybe come up with a different metaphor than a social safety net because it's a time for new ideas and images for things. And the shift to a caring economy, to an interwoven economy, woven with the really deep values of of human living, what makes a good life, or as Indigenous people say, what is the good way? Yeah, I just, building on what you're saying, Cheryl, I think that the other big economic transition and opportunity that we have coming out of this is to really Uh, reconsider not just consumption patterns, but labor patterns and what labor we value um, Mm. and are putting our energy into both individually and collectively, right? I think we've had conversations about revaluing care labor for sure, um, how we value people who have now been determined to be essential workers, how we value their labor within this. So I think that that is all part of the conversation about, you know, the economic side of things coming out of this beyond just consumption patterns and where we're putting our spending dollars, but where where we're putting our labor energy and how we're being uh, compensated for that. And also what sort of additional support uh, we have in terms of, you know, labor, labor standards, access to vacation, uh, time off for caring for others, those sorts of things, right, are all part of that conversation about the economic transition out of this, to my mind. I mean, will we address the disconnects between free market ideology and community health, for example? I mean, uh, you know, you've, uh, Shell references reference the uh, healthcare workers, long-term care facilities, uh, having to work at multiple institutions. Uh, could we pay them decent wages so they could have full-time work and not... Uh, not expose themselves to all the uh, viruses. Bill, I think there's also another dimension, if we think of the social dimension and the economic dimension, but there's also, of course, the environmental. And I'm thinking of some of the lessons that were applied in the United States, Roosevelt's uh, uh, New Deal, and now being revisited through the Green New Deal and the Leap Manifesto, et cetera, in Canada. 
But I think of, you know, some of the initiatives that was taken by Roosevelt back in the 30s, the Conservation Corps that put people to work, but not just on constructing buildings and roads, but also in caring and restoring for our natural world and establishing new parks and protected areas. We now have an international goal of establishing 17% of our land base by the end of this year, this current year, and we're falling short of that. And there's opportunities for looking at our own protected areas, our natural areas in the city of Peterborough, looking at the, uh, a newer application of an older concept, and that's Indigenous protected and conserved areas, where Indigenous people can take the lead. And I think some of the values, the teachings from the elders, and we're blessed in this area to have a prominent presence of Indigenous people who can bring these teachings to the fore and to look at that reconnection with the earth and with what really matters. And that affects our consumption patterns. What do we need to survive and live in a good way, as Cheryl was talking about? I think there's much we can learn from uh, Indigenous folks, the traditions, the Bimadzawin, the good way, and looking after our natural areas. Sure. And of course, our history. I mean, uh, the things we've almost forgotten, suddenly food security, local food security and a stronger local economy are becoming important issues again. What did our grandparents and great grandparents learn about survival coming out of the Spanish flu in 1919? Uh, How did the next generation survive the Great Depression? And uh, of course, in our consumer culture, what I'm going to say is uh, the dreaded F word, frugality, sharing, conservation, community, helping each other. Will these, uh, how can we f- encourage these values that we'll need again? And so how do we get from, to there from here? I think this is a values shift, obviously. And I think we have to make the shift to those kind of values again by being aware of not letting technology do the work. Um, I I think uh, the the use of Zoom is driving me nuts. Uh, (laughs) You're not alone. (laughs) And I know that that's true for everybody, right? And um, I'm haunted haunted by an old science fiction story from uh, from 1909 called The Machine Stock by E.M. Forster. If you could read it, find it. It's free on YouTube and LibriVox. But anyway, the the point of the story is technology took over society. And what happened uh, in in the story in 1909 was eerily similar to, to Zoom. And it, it can break down, it can easily break down those really intimate connections we need, when we, even to the, the small intimacy of meeting somebody on the street. Meeting people in person, uh, conducting our businesses in person, it, it, there's a, a balance we have to strike between the use of technology and our in-person stuff. And, and I think that, that old story is a warning and a reminder to us not to do that, go that way, or think that technology is going to get, a, get us out of this. We have Cheryl, forgotten the earth. We don't want to forget the humans. Cheryl, could you repeat the name of uh, Forrester's story again? It's called The Machine Stop. Okay, thank you. Bill, um, I appreciate Cheryl mentioning uh, the book because I think we can also turn to our artists for that creativity. And often, I think artists are struggling right now to find markets and exposure and other ways of, of making ends meet. And 
two artists who have done very well, of course, that uh, I always appreciate the uh, some of their words. Bruce Coburn has won. The trouble with normals is it always gets worse. So I, I, I agree with Cheryl that we can't go back to the old normal. We've got to make it better. And I think around consumption patterns and that value shift is also from the Rolling Stones. You know, you can't always get what you want, but you might get what you need. And so re-examining what our needs are and being more inclusive of what our goals are for our society and for ourselves are important. Now, I never thought we'd get to uh, Mick Jagger today, but uh, there you go. <laughs> You've reached the end of part one. To continue listening to the rest of this conversation, please play part two.